All right, we'll open up, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you know a lot about the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you maybe don't know even what or where the Sermon on the Mount is. And some of you maybe know more about it than you, than you think you know. And that might become clear over the next few weeks. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, through uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the end of the chapter. And it is uh, the longest uh, sermon that we have in the Bible that Jesus preached, right? We don't have very many sermons in the Bible. Um, I can think of maybe four. Uh, We have Peter preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, I think that is, right? Um, A lot of people think that maybe the whole book of Hebrews is a sermon, Instead of a letter, people think that may be a sermon. So if that's a sermon, then that's the second sermon we have. And then, um, and then there's, some, there's some questions about, about how many sermons we have from Jesus. And, um, but, but if we have two, then there's one in Luke called the Sermon on the Plain. I think that's in Luke. And then we have this one in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it's the longest, uh, it's the longest sermon we have in the Bible other than the book of Hebrews if it's a sermon. And it's definitely the longest um, kind of continuous teaching that we have from Jesus. So if you have a, uh, a red-letter Bible where, where Jesus' words are in red, you'll notice that pretty much all of chapter 5, starting in, in verse 3, all the way through the end of chapter 7, is in red letters all the way down to verse 20, uh, down to verse 27, um, right? So, that, so it should be uh, 5, 1 through seven twenty. Nine, uh, But all of that is Jesus speaking. It's all in red letters because that's all Jesus uh, speaking. So it's the longest section we have like that in the, in the whole Bible. And if you have your Bibles open uh, to Matthew chapter 5, just kind of flip through there with me a little bit. We're not going to read the whole thing uh, tonight, but kind of flip through there with me a little bit. And we're going to see that there are lots of very familiar passages that, that, that you're probably familiar with or probably have heard before or probably have heard about before. Um, that are in the Sermon on the Mount. You may not realize that that's where they are, but that's where they are. And so the first thing in, verse, in, in chapter 5 is the, the Beatitudes, right? You may remember, if you were here, you may remember that we preached through the Beatitudes, um, a series on the, on the Beatitudes several years ago on a Sunday night. Um, and if you have access to um, internet and can, can do those kind of things, you can find those sermons on our, on our church website even, even now. We had talked about maybe making some CDs of those available, but it was going to be, uh, they weren't all going to fit. It was going to take a lot of CDs to do it. And so, um, so we decided just to, to make reference to that on the, on the computer. But we preached through one sermon each, uh, or one beatitude each week, preaching through the beatitudes. And there they are. These are the, are the, the sayings of Jesus, kind of like, almost like Proverbs, where Jesus is talking about who the blessed man is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are the are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And it and it goes on. If you keep reading, there's a, a section here about the salt and light. I'm just reading through the headings of, of my Bible, um, and you may be familiar with that passage. Um, there's the passage here about anger, about uh, not being, uh, or about treating your your enemies uh, well, and about turning the other cheek, and 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 those kind of things. That that kind of passage that you're, that you're familiar with. If you keep reading through chapter 5, there's the, uh, the section where, where Jesus is talking about sin and specifically talking about lust. And he says to cut off your right hand if it's making you sin and to pluck out your right eye if it's causing you to sin. You may be familiar with that, with that passage. That's there in, 
um, in, uh, in chapter 5. Uh, toward, the, toward the end of, of that page in my Bible, verse 38, there's a section there about turning the other cheek. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your, um, takes your, your tunic or your jacket, then give them your, your, or someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic as well, your, your shirt. There's the passage there about loving your enemies. Chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is teaching his people how to pray. And we're familiar with that passage. In chapter 6, he talks about uh, putting up treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust will destroy them, but put them up in heaven where they will not be destroyed. It talks about uh, not serving two masters. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one, hate the other one. That's in that, that section there. In chapter 7, we have this famous passage everybody knows about not judging people, right? Um, it talks about having the log in, in your eye and trying to take the speck out of another person's eye. There's the golden rule in chapter 7 that we, many of us are, are familiar with. Um, the passage in chapter 7 there about asking and seeking and, and knocking is there. There's the, uh, the story at the end of chapter 7 about building your house on a rock versus building your house on, on sand. You may be familiar with that passage as well. And then the passage there right above that in chapter 7 about not everyone who, who claims to know the Lord actually knows the Lord. So there's a lot of uh, very familiar passages in this, in this section of scripture, in this sermon that Jesus is, is preaching. And we can learn a lot from, uh, from Jesus in this sermon, right? And we're going to do that over the next few weeks. That's not my job tonight, but we're going to do that over the next few weeks. We're going to learn uh, from Jesus in this sermon as we take each, each passage uh, kind of piece by piece and, and go through it. So we have a lot to learn from Jesus in this sermon, but we also have a lot to learn about Jesus in this sermon. And that's what I want us to think about tonight. Not, not necessarily what can we learn from him. We'll do that over the next few weeks as we break the sermon up. Um, but what can we learn about Jesus? What, is, what, what do we gain? What kind of insights about who Jesus is do we gain from, uh, from him preaching the sermon? And I want to suggest that there are three things that we can learn, probably more than that. Um, but there's three things that, that I thought of that we can learn from this sermon about who Jesus is. And so first of all, we're going to see that Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus is our protector. Jesus is our protector. And then finally, thirdly, we're going to see that Jesus is our provider. He's our prophet, he's our protector, and he's our provider. <coughs> the first thing we see in this sermon, though, is just the fact that Jesus is our, is our prophet. And think about what a prophet is, what a prophet was in the Old Testament. A prophet was someone who... Uh, he was like a mediator between God and people. He was someone that stood between God and people. He got a message from God, and then he would share that message with the people. So he was someone that kind of stood between them. He was like a spokesperson for, for God. God would tell the prophet a message. The prophet would go and reveal that message to the people. And we read to start out our service this morning, of, or this evening, a passage from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses is this great prophet, probably the greatest prophet in the, in, in the, uh, in the history of Israel from the, from the Jewish people's perspective. He was the, the greatest prophet. And yet in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says there's going to be another prophet who's going to come. He's going to be like me. He's going to be from among your brothers. And God's going to speak to him, and he's going to speak to you, and you're going to hear what he says. You're going to listen to what he says. And I would say that Jesus is that prophet. Think about the history of Israel. After, after Moses died and, 
The people were, were left following uh, Joshua into the promised land, taking over the promised land, and then Joshua died, and uh, you had the judges that were raised up, and, and, and different ones after that, and then you had these other prophets after that. I can imagine the people, every time there's a new prophet on the scene, wondering, is this, is this, the, prophet that, is this the prophet that Moses was talking about? When Ezekiel came up and began, could, could this be the one? Could Ezekiel be the one that God was referring to, that Moses was referring to? And, and we know today that it was, it was Jesus. Jesus is that prophet. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. In the, the beginning of the Gospel of John, John tells us about this, that this is who Jesus is. He says that Jesus, is, uh, says that Jesus was, was with God and that Jesus was God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made uh, that was made. Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he talks there for a few minutes about John the Baptist, but picking back up with Jesus in verse 9, he says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh. Jesus became a, became a person. God became a person. Remember back in Deuteronomy 18, uh, it says that he will be like you from among your brothers, right? And here we have Jesus becoming one of us, becoming a, a man like us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is this prophet that makes God known to us. At the beginning of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews says that in, uh, in ages past and in different ways, God spoke to us through the prophets. And he says, but today, God has spoken to us through his son, through Jesus, the exact imprint, the very nature of, of who God is. Jesus reveals God to us. If we, if we want to know what God is like, if we want to know uh, what God does, then we should look to see what Jesus is like, and we, can, we should look to see what, what Jesus does. We should look to see what Jesus says. We should look to see what Jesus thinks about certain things, and that reveals to us what God thinks about certain things. And Jesus reveals God to us in a couple different ways. He speaks to us in a couple different ways. Uh, the first way he speaks to us is, is, is immediately or, or, or directly, without a mediator, directly to us, and that's what we see here. We have a sermon where Jesus is, is preaching to us, right? And we have other parts of the, of the New Testament where Jesus is teaching in, in, in smaller sections, in parables and things like that. And so sometimes we have direct words from Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, those, those words will be in red because they're directly spoken by, by Jesus. But then other times, Jesus speaks to us immediately or, or indirectly through a mediator. Right? And we can think of the, really the entire Bible as being Jesus speaking to us, either directly through his own voice or indirectly through the voice of the apostles and, and the prophets. And so really, if we want to think about red-letter Bibles, the whole Bible could be in red letters because the whole Bible is, is the Word of God, the Word of, 
the word of Christ. We see Jesus acting this way, speaking this way, um, being this way in, in the sermon throughout the sermon. But look at the very end of it. Look at what they say at the very last part of the sermon. He, he's been preaching this whole thing for three chapters. He gets down to, to, to chapter 7, verse 27. He's finished now. This is the end of the sermon. And then verse 28 says, And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What's the difference in the way that Jesus taught them and the way that their scribes taught them? Well, the scribes were teaching them the way that I'm teaching you tonight, right? The scribes were taking the, the, the Bible, taking the Old Testament and proclaiming what it says and trying to explain what it says. But Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus was speaking on his own authority. The scribes had to speak on the authority of, of, of the Bible. Jesus spoke on his, on his own authority, even correcting some misunderstandings of the Bible. Look at a, look at a few passages in the, in the sermon here with me. Look at chapter, chapter 5. Look at... Uh, Look at verse 21. He says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment, right? Verse 22 says, but I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And it goes on from there. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, you've heard it was said, right? The Old Testament says it was written. These things were written, but I'm telling you that this is what's true. Jesus is speaking here on his own authority. He does this throughout chapter 5, several places. Look at the, at the very next session. Look at verse uh, 27, chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced a divorce woman commits adultery. Finally, look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Right? And then now finally, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. So we see, see Jesus' authority, Jesus' um, ability to speak on his own authority here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is our prophet who reveals God to us. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what God thinks, we look to see what Jesus thought about things. If we want to know what Jesus, what, what God um, does, we look and see what, what Jesus does. Jesus is our prophet. The second thing we learn from this sermon about Jesus is that Jesus is our protector. He's our protector, right? And that's kind of a weird word to use for what I'm trying to say, but it starts with a P and the other ones do too, and so that's why I picked protector, okay? But Jesus is our, is our protector, one of the things that he's concerned about in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus is doing throughout this sermon is he's telling or he's showing us how to live, right? He's telling his people, he's showing his people how to live. He wants them to have a good life. He wants them to have the, the best life that they can have. And so he's protecting them from things that would make their life more difficult. Or he's protecting them from things that would make their lives more, more miserable. Look at chapter 6, verse Verses 1 to, one to 4. 
He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is teaching how we should give to the needy in a way that would be most beneficial to the needy, but also in a way that would be most beneficial for us. Right? We don't give to the needy so that we might get praise here because that will only last for a, a short time. But we give to the needy in a way that it brings glory and honor to God that he might give us an eternal reward. We see this all through the, all through the, uh, the sermon. In, in, uh, in verses 5 through 15, the, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us how to pray in a way that pleases God. He says, don't pray the way the hypocrites do. And don't pray the way the Gentiles do, but pray this way instead. He's teaching us how to pray in a way that, that pleases God, a way that honors God, a way that God is happy with, a way that God accepts. In chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, he tells us not to lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in, in heaven. Again, he's telling us to look to the future, not just to this life. Look to rewards that God will give that are better than rewards that we might get from this life. At the beginning of chapter 7, he tells us how we can best get along with other people. He continues that down in, in chapter 7, verses 12 to 14, with the golden rule to treat other people the way that we want to be treated. And then at the end of chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, he talks about building our house on the rock, the true foundation where we can build a solid, a solid life um, that withstands the, the storms of, uh, of life. There's some, there, there, there is some debate about really what the Sermon on the Mount is and especially what the beginning of it, the Beatitudes is and, and what it's talking about. And it kind of depends on how we understand um, how the Bible fits together, how the Old Testament and New Testament fit together will we'll in some ways determine what we think about this. But there's, there's some debate about this. Is in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the Beatitudes, is Jesus telling us how we're supposed to live right now or is Jesus telling us what it will be like in the, in the kingdom to come, what it will be like in the kingdom of God when it's fully fully realized on, on earth. And there's some debate about that. Which is it? Should we try to live this way now, or is this something that we look forward to in, in, in the future? And, and I think it can be both. I think it can be both. I think, I think it can be an, uh, an ideal that, that we're aspiring toward, that we're working toward, that we're, that we're trying to achieve now, but, it's, but it will eventually be fulfilled on the, on the new earth. He's showing us what, uh, what life with God is like. He's showing us what life with God will, will be like and how we can have that even, even now. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Jesus is our, is our uh, prophet. He reveals God to us. He's our protector. He shows us and tells us how best to live in this sermon. He's also our provider. Jesus is our provider. He knows in this sermon... Jesus knows that he's pointing us to a, to a standard. He's pointing us to, he, he's, he's telling us to do something that we can't do. He's pointing us to a standard that, that's not attainable to us. He's telling us to do something that we're not able to do. Look, look at just a couple things that, that, that point this out really clearly. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. 
Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says we have to be more righteous if we're going to come into God's kingdom, if we're going to come into God's presence, we have to be more righteous than the Pharisees were. Look at, um, look at chapter 5, verse 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But our righteousness has to be more righteous than the Pharisees. We have to be perfect as, even as God is perfect. It's a problem, right? If you don't think it's a problem, listen to what he says a little bit later in chapter 7. Look at, look at chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who, ha- who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Listen to what he says in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See what happened there? Jesus says our righteousness has to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Jesus says that we have to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. And then in the same sermon, just not not long after that, he says that those people are evil. The people he's talking to, the people he's telling, their righteousness has to be more than the Pharisees. The people he's telling, they have to be perfect like God the Father is perfect. He also says that they are, in fact, not perfect. In fact, their righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees' righteousness. In fact, they are evil. So what do we do with this? We might say that those are some pretty big things, right? Our righteousness being, being higher than the Pharisees and our, perf- our, 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 our holiness being as perfect as, as God's. But really, if we think about the rest of the sermon, we can't really do any of it, right? We can't, we can't turn our, our cheek every time. How often have you been in a situation where you responded one way and then later on reflection, you wish you had responded a different way, Right? We don't give our shirts whenever someone steals our jacket from us, right? Again, how often have you been in a situation where someone took something from you and you responded in a way that, that later you would wish you had responded different? There's this whole big, big section in chapter 6 about not being anxious, about not worrying, and yet that seems like that's all we do is worry and are full of anxiety over how we're going to take care of ourselves, right? That section in chapter 6 says God takes care of the birds, God takes care of the flowers. You don't think he's going to take care of you too? And yet we worry and worry and worry about it. Some people in the world worry themselves sick over it, literally. Have to be on on medications and different treatments like that. He tells us to love our enemies. How many of us can say that we love our enemies? If we're we're honest, we know that the the whole point of the sermon is a standard that's unattainable to us, something that we can't do. But Jesus is our provider. And so let's look to a, to a couple sections where I think we get some, some, some hints about this. Look at the end of chapter 7. Look at verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? 
and do many mighty works in your name? We might even add, did we not turn our cheeks in your name? Did we not give our shirts when someone took our jackets in your name? Did we not not worry and rely on you in in your name? Did we not love our enemies in in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's important for us to seek the will of, of God. It's important for us to seek to do the will of God, but not as a means of gaining God's favor. Not as a means of trying to earn God's acceptance. Not as a way of trying to get God to respond to us in a, in, in, a, in a good way. It's not a transaction where we do these good things and then God gives us forgiveness. Where we do these good things and then God uh, allows us into his, into his kingdom. If that's how we're looking at, at, at these types of things, then it's bound to lead to failure. The important thing, look at verse 22 and 23 again. On that day, they're going to say, did we not prophesy? Did we not do all these things in, in your name? And what's Jesus going to say in verse 23? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. The important thing is, are we known by God? Are we known by Jesus? Does he know us? Do we know him? But does he know, does he know us? Look back at chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says here the way to enter the kingdom of heaven is not by relaxing the laws, right? It's not by, it's not by, by, by uh, making the laws easier. It's not by changing the standard so that, we can, so that we can meet it. It's not that at all. He said someone that tries to do that is going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. He says the one that's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the laws, the one who obeys the laws and teaches others to do so as well. And look at the very beginning of that passage, verse 17. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Who is it that's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is it that's kept the law? Who is it that teaches others to keep the law as well? It's Jesus, right? The point here is that Jesus has kept the law for us. The standard is as high as it can be, right? So high that we can't reach it, so high that we can't attain to it, so high that we can't measure up to it. We cannot come into God's presence on our, on our own, and yet Jesus has done it for us. Jesus has done it, has done it for us. In the passage we read just a few minutes ago, we saw that Jesus answers requests for righteousness, right? He says those who seek will find, and those who knock will be answered, and And those who ask, uh, whatever it says about them, those who ask, it will be given to them. Those who seek will find. Those that knock, it will be opened. Jesus answers these sincere requests for righteousness, for obedience, for the door to the Father's presence to be opened. In fact, in this very sermon, Jesus teaches us to ask God for such things, right? And when he teaches us how to pray, he says, pray 
that our sins will be forgiven. Pray to God that he would forgive us our sins and pray to God that he would not lead us into temptation, but he would lead us away from sin. He would lead us away from temptation. Jesus, I think we see in this, in this sermon that Jesus is our, is our prophet. He reveals God to us. He's our protector. He shows us the right way to live. He shows us the best way to live. And he's also our provider. He's won this life for us. He's won our entrance into the kingdom for us. But he's also provided us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to guide us that we might live lives of obedience. Not perfect obedience, but obedience nonetheless. And forgiveness when we when we disobey. We don't seek to obey this, this sermon. We don't seek to obey Jesus' commandments as a way of gaining acceptance with God. But we do seek to obey this sermon. We do seek to obey God's commandments as, as, as redeemed people that are trusting in Jesus for salvation and are relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us away from sin as a way of displaying God's glory to the world around us. When God saves us, and we begin to live differently, not so that he would save us, but because he has saved us, the world sees that and that looks different to the world. We should live different than the world. We should live uh, to, to the standard that, that God has set for us, the standard that Jesus reminds us of even here. We, we shouldn't do that as a means of trying to get God to save us, but we should do that because God has saved us and, and has empowered us to live lives of holiness, has empowered us to resist sin. We should seek for, for, for this community, for our church even, to be kind of an outpost of the kingdom of God for the world to see. When the people look at us, they should see something different about us. Let them see how we, how we treat each other and how we love each other and how we relate to each other and how we talk to each other and let them, let them marvel at the difference they see between us and the world. Let's seek for God's will to be done, done among us as it is in heaven, as we look forward to it being done on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, for truth. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. God, we thank you that you've re revealed yourself to us in, in a way that we can understand you through becoming one of us, becoming our savior in the person of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help, help, help me and, and help all of us to be trusting in him for salvation. That there's nothing we can do to earn your favor, nothing we can do to earn your salvation, nothing we can do to earn your pleasure. Father, he's done that for us, and I pray you'd help us to trust in that. But trusting in that, God, I pray you'd help us to fight sin in our own lives, help us to fight sin in each other's lives. God, help us to, uh, to rely on the Holy Spirit to lead us into righteousness, Again, not as a way of earning your favor, but as the fruit of your favor. And God, I pray that others around would see and would hear and would notice and would question and would want what you're doing here. God, we thank you for Jesus. We trust in him, rely on him. Thank you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.